This is Tales, Tunes, and Towtons, a podcast about stories and songs from Newfoundland and Labrador. We occasionally eat Towtons, our favorite food group. I'm Sarah. And I'm Jen. And this is episode 38. 38. I said that right. Yes. Yeah. 38. 38. Oh, I gave you a look that <laughs> probably was You're like, wrong. No, no, I was just thinking of what to say. I'm like, what was my blank look? No. So we have exciting things to talk about before we do our episode because our very first episode oh. is in the news. Well... <laughs> Not us. <laughs> Although fake I news, did tag news. CBC this week. But. So the story, if you've been following along since the beginning, Professor Daniel was our first episode. What song did you sing in that episode? Uh, I don't know. I'll look it up. It up. Um, so Professor Daniel's in the news because the town of Paradise has erected a new monument. And it, there's lots of mystery around it. But it turns out that the monument is, how would you say it, like... A salute to, yeah, like uh, the Octagon Castle. Yeah, yeah. So I did Cape St. Mary's. Cape St. Mary's. Yeah, our very first episode. Yeah. Um, so we've been sharing CBC articles, lots of articles and um, information around it. Because all of a sudden there was this blue figure that went up, and people didn't know. Yeah, yeah. What it was. It sort of went up quickly, last and week. yeah, there was there's no signage or anything, and it's a unique shape. Which Octagon. makes sense. Yes, which makes sense if you know the story of Professor Daniel that we covered in episode number one. There you have it. Go <laughs> check it out. <laughs> um, so we're recording on a Friday, and we are going to pick up our lunch after this, which is a graze box from the Gourmet Mama. So shout out. Shout out to her. And... Uh, I'm sure we'll probably be posting pictures about that <laughs> <laughs> this afternoon as well. So will we just jump in? Do you have anything yeah. else exciting? Um, anything that's exciting. Ooh, I went to Dildo this weekend. How was it? I need a hot tub. Okay. Sarah has one. I live vicariously <laughs> through her. But I spent so much time in it that like the little bit of eczema I have on my hands, like oh. I used to have to sit, well, you've probably seen me do this here, but I'd sit in the hot tub with my hands just out like... A robot. Avoiding the chlorine or because whatever. Because it would like burn, but I didn't care. <laughs> <laughs> Did it so clear it up? Um, it got like, it was really, really raw the weekend, but now it's like. Because they okay. say like, sometimes I know like little kids can have it and chlorine can helps it? help it sometimes. I don't know. It could have been like the hotness of it too. Could be, yeah. But it's definitely like, it's just dry now. Yeah. It's not like, yeah. anyways, you all need to know about my eczema here <laughs> but here we are <laughs> went to the so my favorite place to sometimes I drive out to this place and just for the clubhouse sandwich I don't know if I've ever talked about it on here I'm a fan of a clubhouse sandwich Sarah Nolan I've never told you about this no <laughs> okay next week we're not doing any podcasts we're driving out to Greens Harbor okay just outside of yep. like next to Dildo and it's a place called Jigs and Reels. Okay. I definitely told you about Jigs Never and Reels. Never heard. Nope. Okay. Nope. I'm going to link Jigs and Reels in this episode because <laughs> I follow them on Instagram. You've been overshadowed, Gourmet Mama. <laughs> Sorry. It is. <laughs> we'll good. also link Gourmet Mama. <laughs> it is the best clubhouse sandwich, I'm convinced, on the island. What makes it so special? Just they do a great job. It's like real turkey. Like, they're, they're not shy with the mayonnaise. Mm. The fries, fish, and gravy are so good. Frankie's making lots of noise here today. Mm -hmm. um, anyways, Jigs and Reels. I went there uh, right. over St. Patty's Day. We're going. For a little tune. 
The place is amazing. If you want to have a wedding out there, the doctors and but do I work for Jigs and Reels here? <laughs> the doctors in and spa mm-hmm. is like right next to it. Mm-hmm. So highly recommended. Um, do they have good French fries? Best, best, best. Okay. I had fish and chips there um, the weekend, and then ordered a clubhouse like to go one day. Right. Yeah. So, Jigs and Reels, Greens Harbor. Well, now that we're all hungry for lunch, <laughs> <laughs> you can hit the, the like speed on the episode. Oh, does that make like our voices sound really, really fast? Yeah. <laughs> and then... Do you ever listen to things like that? Never. Me neither. I remember when I first discovered it, um, I was listening to a podcast and or probably listening all day on and off, but it was one pace faster than regular and I could not figure out what was wrong. <laughs> couldn't fix it. Going crazy. So annoyed. Anyway. Did you like hit it by mistake? I must have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I figured it out and all is well. So yeah, if you're hungry for lunch, you can hit the speed up button and get right through this real quick. Yep. So I'm going to start and uh, I will remember to tell you what websites I use today. Unlike last week, I believe, when I forgot all of them. But uh, we have NewfoundlandShipwrecks.com, Mun.ca, which was the Mug Up Project, MysteriesOfCanada.com, DownHomeLife.com, which uh, featured an article titled The Legend of the SS Ethy. So I'm going to tell you all about the SS Ethy. 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 E-T-H-I-E. The SS Ethy was a coal-burning steamer, which was also called a stout ship. Now, before I dive into the story, if you haven't listened to previous episodes, the purpose of that ship was for transportation of people and goods, because at the time, the majority of people traveled around the exterior of the island by boat, going to coastal community after coastal community. Um, There was... uh, much less interior travel at that time. So you can listen to episode 11 to hear about resettlement or episode nine or and episode nine to hear all about the Newfoundland Railroad if you want some better perspective on how the populations lived and got around in the early 1900s. Nice. uh, There you go. Nice bringing it all together (laughs) there. (laughs) So this story starts on December 3rd, 1919, when the steamer was making a typical run on the west coast of the island, going from the Cornerbrook area, heading north as far as Battle Harbor. From there, the ship heads back with records of a happy crew, passengers, and smooth sailing conditions. The steamer arrived back in Cowhead on the evening of December 10th. According to an extract from the ship's log printed in the Atlantic Guardian, December 1950, which I found on the website Newfoundland Shipwrecks, a storm was brewing. So I quote, the sky was black as tar with a fresh breeze blowing from the south-southwest. You can, black as tar, I can see that sky. That's right? really good imagery. So descriptive. Yeah. <laughs> the ship only spent long enough in Cowhead to load up freight and set sail again by 8 o'clock at night. That same ship log records increasingly bad weather for the next little bit. The gales were increasing to hurricane winds with thick flurries. The captain had to adjust his course multiple times in an attempt to continue on to the destination, but it became increasingly difficult. In doing so, the ship burned through its supply of coal at an incredible pace, the whole while working to avoid being pushed into the rocks to the rocky shoreline. 
Uh, it was also recorded that the entire crew was called to work all night long, watching as the stor storm grew stronger. This log from the Newfoundland Shipwrecks website painted a really incredible picture. So we'll share that link in the bio for mm -hmm. this episode. Uh, I don't have much experience on the water. I don't have any like fisher people in my family or um, anything like that. So when I read about this storm, it was really eye-opening. Uh, Jen, you know, in the winter, if you look along a shoreline, even of a pond or a little stream, you have moving water that's not frozen. Frankie telling you all about it in the background. So you have... Mm -hmm. All the Boom. noises. <laughs> Will I keep going? Yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, so you have moving. The old us would have been like, we cannot have that sound. or. <laughs> but you, now we're just. You forgive us, whatever. listeners. Um, so you have moving water. And then uh, wherever the, there's like a buffer zone where the water meets the land where it like splashes over or runs over or when the tide comes in and out and that freezes. Have you ever noticed that? Like I notice when I in drive, like along, say Windsor Lake, there's little Coming waves, yeah, and there's um, like just a layer of ice all around the perimeter. Yes, yes, Not yes. that the water's on it, but whenever it splashes up, it freezes. Like that's how cold the air is. That's the picture I'm trying to paint for you gotcha. right now. Um, so that's what's happening aboard the SS Effie that night. Every time a wave crashes over the side a little bit of water would freeze. And with every wave, it would create an extra layer and an extra layer of ice. Around the boat. Yeah, all over the boat. Um, so, yeah, just incredible. It, and there's a really, like I said, there's a really good description there. Another interesting part of this story was that there were two cows on board this ship. And because of the storm's intensity, one of them perished, not being able to keep his head above water on board. That's how much water was coming on. Oh, my God. Yeah. The crew worked extremely hard all throughout the night, and by daylight, the storm had only gotten worse. They barely made it through the night. I've experienced turbulence on a plane, but, like, momentarily, or at most, mm. you know, for the length of a flight, which has never been that long, I can't imagine just being a helpless passenger mm. on a ship like this. By 10.30 in the morning, the captain could see land in the distance, and it was determined that it was Martin's Point, about 10 miles southwest from Cowhead, where they had left the night before. At this point, the steamer is drifting towards the breakers, and the captain has instructed all passengers to prepare with life belts, which I'm assuming is a life jacket. This is December, right? Yes. Oh, God. Direct impact was the only outcome of this situation, so with consultation of some key crew members, the captain decided it would be best to fire up the engines full steam ahead with what little coal they had left for the best outcome. Drifting would be more risky in such a big storm. It was noon when the SS Effie struck ground full force, and by some miracle, they weren't thrown from the boat, and the boat wasn't in pieces. Don't get me wrong. It was bad. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> it was still a terrible uh, storm. And the ship was wrecked. But miraculously, it seemed like everyone was okay. No. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Wow. So after a quick scan, they jumped into action. And this is where the tales and urban legends start. But I won't get into that quite yet. So there was a line run from the ship to shore for passengers to use to guide themselves to safety. The 45 passengers included six women and one baby. 
They were brought to shore first, so the women and the baby were brought to shore first, and then the crew members followed, totaling 72 people, the entire population of the ship, who all got to shore safely. But I also read that there were like 90-odd people. I'm going to go with the 72, because that's from the the log. Uh, It was truly a miracle. And Jen, the best part of this story, can you guess how they got the baby safely to shore? You texted me something about this earlier this morning, <laughs> oh. but I can't remember. Okay. Wait, so, wait, 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 wait. Okay. Something about a male? Yeah. So they put the baby in a mail bag and tied like the mail sling? bag. Tie, t- yeah, I guess it's like I'm a big like sack. So they put, they laid the baby in a sack, <clears throat> wrapped her in a blanket, laid her in a sack, tied her to, tied the mail bag to this like makeshift chair that they had running the line from ship to shore. And that's how they hoisted her to the land. Can you imagine the amount of stress? No. So if you remember, I said it was noon when the steamer struck aground. And by the time the last crew member reached the shore, the sun had set. Wow. So it was hours and hours of work. There were only two homes on this coastline for the passengers and crew to seek protection from the elements. So once those two homes were filled to capacity, Frankie... Uh, Once those two houses were filled to capacity, the rest traveled to the next houses, which were over three kilometers away in a neighboring community, still in a snowstorm. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. The following day, the crew assessed the situation and decided they would attempt to board the steamer to retrieve whatever they could for supplies. The passengers continued to weather the storm in the houses, but on the second day... Um, others were able to join to help retrieve most of the contents of the steamer and bring it all ashore. So soggy food, clothes, mm. suitcases, whatever they had. Even the cow survived. I was going to say, like, wh- what happened to the other cow? <laughs> uh, <coughs> within the coming days, the crew and passengers were brought by train as far as Deer Lake and then returned to their homes from there just in time for Christmas. The last part of the ship's log describes the beauty of the ship after the weather settled. The, um, she was offshore, completely covered in a thick layer of ice that sparkled in the daylight. Uh, the one line of cable that connected the SS Ethie to the shore was also covered in ice. The cable was thin, but it was described as being as thick as a pole after it had been coated so many times by the freezing seawater. Wow. So let's get back to those tall tales around this story. There's many versions of this, but uh, one of the stories go that it was actually a dog. There was actually a dog on board that grabbed the cable on the ship, wrapped it around its body, and swam ashore to a man who anchored it to create that line of safety. <laughs> <laughs> I even read that because of the way that the steamer ran aground, it acted like a breakwater and allowed that section of water to be relatively calm as it sheltered the big waves. There are accounts of that dog being a collie, but it also changed to a Newfoundland dog. Oh. <laughs> uh, I also read that the dog was not in the boat at all, but in fact on the, on the shore, and the opposite happened. Was there even a dog involved? Who knows? There are so many variations of that story, and one of the websites that I shared earlier lists them all out really well, so we'll share that one as well. There were even multiple books written with varying versions of the event. One of them is even a children's book. So on to the last part of this story now. I'll share with you the recounting of this story from the perspective of Hilda Mentions, who, Jen, 
was the baby in the mailbag. No, Hilda. (laughs) I think I've talked before about these projects around the province where seniors recount memories Mm -hmm. from their lives and it all gets compiled in a book. Um, Sometimes my dog is being so loud today. It's like a spring day (laughs) and he sees all the birds and everything outside. So he's being super annoying. Apologies. Um, So sometimes these books get published or launched online. Um, Sometimes it's an initiative by a seniors living facility. So I found one of these books titled Not Too Long Ago, Seniors Tell Their Stories, which was presented by the Seniors Resource Center in St. John's. Hilda Mentions, who, from what I found, passed away in 2007 at the age of 89, recounted her story in this book. Although Hilda suffered from dementia, her husband confirmed that this is a story that she's been recounting for as long as he can remember, long before her memories began to fade. Hilda was traveling with her grandfather and her mother, Elizabeth Patton, who was pregnant at the time. They were en route to visit her grandmother in Norris Point. Hilda remembers her mother lying down for most of the trip, and when the weather got really bad, some crew members had to help pack her into the bed so she didn't fall off. Hold on, Hilda remembers this? Well, allegedly. You know, I guess she's heard the story so many times that she's just recounting it. Mrs. Patton, Hilda's mother, she kept that mailbag as a reminder of how lucky they were to survive the near-death experience. Although it was an experience that left her sick to her stomach whenever she thought of little Hilda going over the water in a mailbag. I need to see this mailbag. I know. So I get to that a little bit. In 1986, Hilda and her husband Clayton decided they actually didn't have any children of their own. So after her parents passed away and they didn't have any kids to pass it on to, they decided to donate the mailbag to the National Park Commission in Rocky Harbor. And it's on display at the Lobster Head Cove Lighthouse. No way. But I will read you a few lines from an article from the Down Home Magazine, um, that, uh, the article that I referenced, quote, In a mysterious twist, however, there is some doubt that the bag is, in fact, the same one Hilda's mother kept all those years. When the mentions took family visitors to see the bag years ago, Hilda was quite upset when she saw the, saw the bag on display. It looked different than the one she remembered. And there's a quote within a quote here. Quote, you will notice the mail bag that's there now has a big wide strip. And that wasn't there on the original one, says Clayton. He thinks the real ma- mail bag was probably taken and used as a camping bag. End quote. No. <laughs> so regardless of the details about the dog and the mail bag, the story of the SS Ethy was so fun to research. I haven't worked on many stories with so many varying accounts of tales around it. Uh, but that's it, and that's the story of the SS Ethy, which I believe you can still see rusty traces of on the shoreline of Martins Point on the northwest coast of Newfoundland. Very cool. Interesting, hey? I was like, I want to see that bag, <laughs> but it might not. <laughs> I wonder if, like, whoever used it as a camping bag or if it was, you know. Yeah, whatever. If they realized. I know, the history. Yeah. Yeah, yeah the significance. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Okay. Moving on. My song today actually shares uh, a name with one of my very favorite flowers, the Forget-Me-Not. Oh. What's your favorite flower? (laughs) (laughs) Buddy the Elf, what's your favorite color? (laughs) I don't really have a flower. You know what? I do have a favorite flower, the Ranunculus. I don't even know what it (laughs) is. 
<laughs> when I was getting married, I, I don't know, like looking at all these things and looking at pictures of flowers. And I was always drawn to this particular flower. And we got married in the fall and it was off season for the ranunculus. So I could not have them in my bouquet. What does the ranunculus <laughs> look like? Sort of like a peony slash rose. Like it's a many, many, many yeah. leaves. I believe it's in season this winter, like winter time. Like here? No, no, not native have to, to here. But like a while, like years ago, I remember my mom buying me a little floral arrangement because it had ranunculus in it because she remembered that me liking liked. those flowers. And, and then just recently I did notice maybe like the flower studio making a post about some bouquets that they had made, little arrangements, and that flower was in it. Wow, so, ranunculus. Yeah. yeah. Very nice. Yep. Um, so the song Sweet Forget Me Not was written in 1877 by Bobby Newcomb, who was from Cincinnati. Hmm. I've strangely been to Cincinnati like twice. It's random. random place to be. Mm -hmm. um, after he published the song as Song with a Waltz Course, like that was the title, okay. um, it appeared in the later 19th century in an Irish songster book. And then in the middle of the 20th century, the song had... Um, obtained a different melody and was actually being sung here in Newfoundland through um, like the oral tradition of just mm -hmm. uh, passing down the song. The version I'll sing today was really quite popular in the St. Mary's Bay area. Mm -hmm. And there's multiple versions or variants of this song. So Eddie Coffey, a Newfoundland singer-songwriter, made it really popular in the 1970s. Mm -hmm. Foster and Allen have a recording. Uh, Daniel O'Donnell. Mm -hmm. It's like my aunt's favorite Singer. Singer. Um, <laughs> Great Big C has a recording of this. Really? They refer to the song as graceful and charming. Okay. Because those are some of the words that are in the chorus. Okay. Ryan's Fancy has a recording. Um, there's a nice video from Alison Crow from Cornerbrook. I don't know if you know Alison. She sings, uh, she's a wonderful singer. Um, there's this really beautiful recording from someone from Calvert singing this. Vince Ledwell. L-E-D-W-E-L-L. -L. Is okay. that how I say yeah, I think so. Um, this was a recording collected by the Mun Folklore and Language Archive. And I'm going to play you. It's a 37-second clip. I'm going to turn my volume all the way up. It's just really sweet. Cool. Fancy brings a thought to me of flowers and Grace and beauty they combine so fancy and so fair. Twas as a maiden that I loved, she was my happy lot. Where we parted and she whispered, you'll forget me not. Isn't that sweet? That's really lovely. It like reminds me of my grandfather. Yeah. Like just sitting around. Like the most important thing is to share the words and the melody. It doesn't matter how good you are yeah. or how, you know, you have any like experience singing, but it's really you're really sharing beautiful. the, yeah. So that was a recording um, collected by the Mun Folklore and Language Archive. I don't know if I said that already, but here is Sweet Forget Me Not, a sweet song of love remembered. Beautiful. Fancy brings a thought to me of a flower so bright and fair. Her grace and beauty both combine to make the thought more rare. 
she whispered, you forget me not. She's graceful and she's charming like the lilies in the pond. Time is flowing swiftly by of her I am so fond. The roses and the daisies they bloom around the spot where we parted when she whispered So, so lovely. So we forget me not. Yeah. With all my forget me not tattoos. <laughs> yeah. I, if I had to guess, I would definitely know your favorite flower. Mm. Yeah. Forget me nots. Yeah. So and tulips. I really love tulips. Oh, I do you? Tulips here actually today. Yeah. Spring I really love tulips. tulips. I do love tulips as mm. well. They're so pretty. So that's it. Done. Wish, I wish you all have a wonderful meal to look forward to now. Maybe <laughs> of clubhouse sandwiches or oh, can't wait. graze boxes. New sponsorship. That's my goal. There Chicks you go. Food. <laughs> it all comes back to food. Have a wonderful week. Bye. Bye. Our theme song is McAlpine's Crew by Matthew Byrne. Thanks to Matthew for allowing us to use it. You can learn more about Matthew and his music at matthewbyrne.net. You can find Tales, Tunes, and Towtons on the following platforms. Facebook and Instagram at Tales, Tunes, and Towtons. TikTok at Tales, Tunes, Towtons. And Twitter at Tales, Tunes, Pod, and L. To get in touch with us, send an email to Tales, Tunes, Towtons at gmail.com. And last but not least, please subscribe to this podcast on your favorite listening platform. And don't forget to rate us and leave a review so we can continue to grow.